0: Welcome to The Homegirls, four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired in real life on YouTube and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hi everybody, it's the Homegirls, and today we are here with
1: Ray Ellen, who is in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he's the owner of Pixel Properties Realty and one half of one of our very favorite real estate shows, The Bearded Men of Real Estate. So thanks for coming on, Ray.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: You have like a really good radio voice, I feel like.
2: Thank you. It's
3: soothing. It's soothing. You guys, do you guys get that soothing feeling? I'm like, oh, I want him to tell me a good night story. <laughs> get
2: that? <laughs> like, yes, I get that. I, well, a lot of times I'll answer the phone and people won't say anything because they think I'm the <laughs> answer machine. And they'll just like, they're waiting. I've I've answered the phone and people just hang up on me immediately. <laughs> so they just think I'm the no, answer
3: machine. Yeah, you have a soothing voice. You can't talk on the phone. You're too soothing. That's
2: right.
3: Very nice. So Ray, tell us about
1: real estate and your life journey and how you ended up in real estate and all of that good jazz.
2: Wow. I have no idea. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) None of us do. (laughs) That's right. How do we end up here? Um, No, I, I actually wanted to do real estate most of my life. So my grandfather had some property down in South Arkansas, and I was always kind of fascinated by what you could do if you owned your own land. Um, you know, we used to hunt together and all that kind of stuff. And so as I grew up, I was just, I wanted to do something with land. I didn't really understand when I was little, the context of real estate, helping people buy and sell, but I knew I liked land. So I, um, when I got out of college, I did some marketing stuff for a little while. I did some sales stuff for a little while, and then I started helping real estate agents market and sell properties. So I was a bit of a nerd in high school computer geek. And so, when i started working for these agents i was setting up uh, single property websites before those were a thing you know we were just using wordpress templates that i would create and then do a single property website at 123mainstreet.com and uh, i used to take 360 uh, uh, photos but back then you had to like turn your camera 180 degrees and take a ton of photos and then stitch them together with some software it was a, a ton of trouble and so I did that for a year. I marketed over 49 million in property for other agents. And I thought I should get my license because a percentage of that would be way different than what I was paid. So I got licensed in January of 2007. And we had an incredible four or five months. And then the entire market just kind of stopped. So a lot of people say the market crashed in 2008 and I think it did, but it was like turning off a faucet in 2007. Like the inquiry stopped, and people stopped moving. It was getting really weird. so yeah. it was it was tough times.
1: So what was it like being a brand new agent during a market crash?
2: So I didn't know until I watched the big short just a couple of years ago. Uh, honestly, I thought I wasn't that good. Because, because, you know, before the crash, none of my friends had money, but they could all buy houses. After the crash, none of my my friends had money and none of them could buy houses. And all the investors I was working with stopped making inquiries. And it was just, I thought I wasn't that good, uh, honestly. And I watched The Big Short recently and it made me feel a lot better about myself. Because I realized, you know, you're told like, oh yeah, that happened all around the country. And yet you still see some agents that made it. I'm thinking man I must have been terrible Um, but after watching the movie I felt much better about that failure Uh, so I actually wound up going into business brokerage in 2009 just because we were doing okay like we were, you know I could have puttered around another couple of years but I wanted the big bucks and also want to learn some different skills so I went to business brokerage because I had a license I could sell the commercial real estate attached and I learned how to sell businesses and I became partner in that firm and I wound up owning a restaurant and Part of a marketing company with a family gig, and um, we—I didn't go back to real estate until 2013. I reactivated my residential license, and it's been kind of no holds barred since.
1: Business brokerage is interesting. So, like, selling yeah. businesses.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, so if somebody owns like a, a Annie Ann's Pretzels or something like that, and it's sitting in the mall, you could buy that without selling the mall. Or you could buy that without buying the mall, right? So you buy the business, but if they also own the mall, then you could buy the business and the mall.
1: Yeah, that's, that's super interesting.
2: Yeah,
0: I really want pretzels now. That's really <laughs> it's messed up.
1: They are literally the best pretzels on earth. I just have like right, about really good. Saturday. They're real, real good. Um, so, what was the transition like coming back into regular residential real estate? Say the last part again. How'd you know it was time to make that switch back?
2: Um, so I was in business with family and uh, I couldn't get a break. So going down to South Arkansas was always kind of my getaway. And I would go down there and hunt and um, I'm a pretty introverted guy. So I just need that time to disconnect. And I would go down and the family would say, Hey, while you're down here, let's have a business meeting and I couldn't really get out of business. I couldn't find rest. And so that's how we knew it was time to, it was time to make a transition. It was time to move something else. So I came, um, we moved to Little Rock. Uh, that's where my wife's from. I'm from Bryant, which is just South of here. And, uh, I didn't really have any connections anymore. Most of my people moved away and I went into it hundred percent commission. Uh, we just moved here. It was really funny. Um, my wife said, are you sure this is what you want to do? Cause hundred percent commission. Are we going to make it? Um, cause she doesn't work. I was like, well, there are terrible agents in this town who suck and they make a lot of money for them and their family. Can we agree that I don't suck? And she said, yeah. I said, okay, we'll be fine. <laughs> so, uh, I really, you know, I put my head down whenever I reactivated the license. Um, you know, I think I showed up for my first day and I started focusing on branding. Like, what did, what should my logo be like? How big is my team going to be? And I quickly realized after the first, like week or so that that was just a complete waste of time. I had no money and I had to go make money fast. So I really just kind of put my head to the grind and my first transaction came from a guy that had gotten a call in a $50,000 property. He was like, Hey, do you want these people? Yes. So I took them, I sold them like a $100,000 house. And the guy was so nice. He he said, uh, you, don't, you know, you take these people, don't pay me a referral, just, you know, take care of them. Those people have sent me five transactions through the years and uh, and I sold them a house that was double the value. So I actually offered to pay him a referral. I was like, hey man, they bought a $100,000 house. I'll sell you, you know, I'll, I'll pay you a referral on it. He was like, nope, I said no referral. So that's kind of how I got my start. That was about a month and a half into... Uh, reactivating my license which was good because we run out of money um but then like the next month i had two closings and the next month after that i had two closings and then i think i sold 24 or so in my first year uh first year back it was just a lot of a lot of focus a lot of intentionality um and working like a dog
4: did you go there like sphere or did you do like for sale by owners expired like where was your business coming from
2: i door knocked a lot uh there were some uh, sales from Sphere. But at the time, my Sphere didn't really trust me. And I didn't trust me either. Um, because I, I wanted to, before I popped up and said, Hey guys, I can sell your house faster than anybody else. I wanted to sell f- houses faster than anyone else. Uh, so I also, wow. when I restarted, like I, I cut my beard. It was like super trim. I wore a suit, tie. Like I showed up at the office. I did what all the traditional agents should do because I also felt like if I want to be different, you got to earn it. Like you know all the people that say like um, no no you do you i totally disagree until you make it right once you've made it like once you've proven to me that you can do it then you can do you but don't show up new wearing shorts and a t-shirt and think you can sell a multi-million dollar house when you haven't proven yourself to sell a hundred thousand dollar house so i'm really a um, conform until you can change until you have a reason Uh, so I conformed for a while. I did everything that you're supposed to do. calling all that jazz. Um, but yeah, it was very, um, very difficult sales. I did a lot of door knocking. (laughs) Uh, as I was door knocking, I would take pictures of myself door knocking. And I got transactions from my friends who was like, wow, he's really working hard. <laughs> it's probably, it was probably yes. a little bit pity in there. But, uh, but I looked up after two years and we were kind of beating the market in a lot of ways. And that's when I started uh, to market myself and do video and all that. So I waited until I had like a pedigree where I could look and say, this is what I've done. Then I, then I started marketing myself.
0: That's awesome. Do you think that a lot of uh, realtors get their start by having a realtor or a realtor experience that wasn't awesome or seeing a big hole in our market? Do you think that's why a lot of people, or at least some people do that? And what did you learn, um, you know, by doing the opposite of what everybody else was doing?
2: You mean, um, like later when I, when I, yeah, you, you'd
0: mentioned that, um, you got into real estate because, you saw that you know there was a bunch of realtors out there that weren't awesome, and that oh, you yeah. could probably kill it, right? Yeah. Um, so I feel like a lot of people end up getting their real estate license if they have seen something in the market where they're not, you know, there's a void in the marketplace they're not having, you know, good services and out there like there's not a whole lot of um, draw to certain houses or whatever. So do you see yeah. like when you when you started like what did you learn from that? Like how did you change your business?
2: That's a good question. Um, well, I mean, I'm a nerd, so I looked a lot at the data, you know, I would, I would do comparative market analysis that were like 80 pages and just,
0: Oh my gosh,
2: you know, you know, here's the details, here's the data. And we would nail the price and, um, I would always have the sellers pick the price, but they would nail the price with the data that I gave them. Right. Cause you know, you can make that data say whatever you guys know that. So I would always like, show them the realities of it. Um, I'm really big into kind of exposing the gimmicks. So when real estate agents would say that open houses don't work, I would go in there and say, yeah, they do. And here's how they do. And here's the percentage of homes that sell from open houses. And here's, you know, all the data. So I just, I guess I felt like the market itself was tired, that there were a lot of things that have been being said for years and years that are not necessarily accurate or helpful to the marketplace. And that I was going to do whatever I could to straighten those out, I guess you could say. Um, and just be honest with my clients and and be honest with the approach. And when someone was overpriced, I would tell them, I wouldn't have a realtor open house to just invite everybody over to come dog the price so I could get an easy price drop. Um, I would actually tell my clients and then hopefully drop the price and then maybe get realtors over there to see the new price in the new house, you know? So I was just really upfront and honest with, With my clients and told them how it was going to roll and and normally it it worked um i think the the marketplace itself was just mine specifically is about five years behind technologically and i think when i started doing the marketing and stuff like that we started to really improve that and started to become leaders in a lot of ways in our little market here
0: that's awesome What
3: is your market like? Like, what are your, is Arkansas like? I feel like, I feel like Arkansas is just like its state all by itself. Like, there's yeah. like, I, what is your market like?
2: I kind of feel like that's Colorado too, right? I, I mean, like, you guys are kind of like, if you want to go ski and stuff, like, that's where you go. So, but I think maybe the natural states are like that, the places where, you know, you can go and get away. So we're called the natural state. We have trees all in our city. Uh, that's the number one comment that we get from like people coming from LA or little rock. Like, wow, there are a lot of trees. Like, yeah, we kept them. So uh, <laughs>
4: <laughs> we did not, we're bull- we did not. We bulldozed them down.
2: It's the funniest thing in the world to us. When we hear people like talking about the displacement of wildlife and all that for parks. And I'm like, well, you have an entire subdivision. Like what do you think happened to the deer? Right? So uh no, Arkansas is very natural. Uh we wear shoes. Uh that's I mean, I had a client that moved here from uh from somewhere up north and they're like, "Oh, you guys like wear shoes and stuff." I'm like, "Seriously? Like that's still a thing?" I didn't, yeah, we wear shoes. Um you could buy a castle for a million bucks. You could buy one of the nicest houses in our market. Over 500,000 is in the top 2%. Um So yeah, I mean, it's a, I love the market. There's not a lot of people that know about it. And if you ask any Arkansan, they'll say, yeah, that's how we like it and what we want to keep. I mean, we don't, we don't want a ton of influx from outside, uh, but we want just enough to, you know, maintain the economy and improve it. Um, But growing too fast would not go over well in Arkansas. So we want nice, steady, calm. Our market does not do the huge spikes and stuff that everyone else has. So we're pretty steady. Northwest Arkansas is a little more spiky.
3: Mark my words, you're going to be wrong in three years. They're coming your way. We're the way coming? To, like our
1: natives mm-hmm. or people that have been here for a really long time are mm-hmm. so sick of the growth and like the changes and
3: mm-hmm. politics
1: and people yep. here. That we're already starting to send a lot of people there. So sorry.
3: I sent three. I sent three to Arkansas in the last two months.
2: Yeah, we are getting more and more. We'll see what happens. I mean, we still have tons of like undeveloped land and tons of farmland, still got tons of trees everywhere. So we should be fine for a long time. We're not building on top of each other yet.
4: Cool. You should stop talking about it or everyone's gonna come now.
2: I know, right? So as I was saying from Louisiana. Uh, <laughs>
4: <laughs> you like, it's horribly humid and we have lots of snakes here. That's right. That would That's keep true. me away. Yeah.
2: The, the thing is the alligator tornadoes are just incredible. <laughs>
4: So when in Denver when, weird,
1: right? When you uh, came back into residential real estate, did you start Pixel Properties right away, or were you with another brokerage? Talk to us about like the broker owner journey. Angela is a broker owner.
2: Oh really? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So <laughs> me too. No, it's it's great, but you'll um, I mean she can appreciate this. It's the best thing in the world, and it's the worst thing in the world. Um, yeah. And that happens within five minutes of each other. So I, in 2006, when I was thinking about getting my license, we were sitting in bed watching this guy taste wine on YouTube and he would taste three wines and tell us about the wines. And these were wines that he sold in his store, right? And he would sit there and tell you how bad that wine tasted that he sells in his store. And then how good this other one tasted that was cheaper and then how this one was overvalued and should be sold less than what it was, but wine spectators, you know, so we were watching him taste these wines and I looked at my wife. I was like, you know, somebody should do this for real estate. Somebody should do media on this scale in real estate. I have no idea what that looks like, but someone should do this. I should start a company that does this. Then I got into real estate and the world market crashed, right? That's going to take away your appetite for spending extra dollars on marketing pretty quick. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of the people that used to hire me to do the 360 tours or the virtual tours is what they used to be called. They just started uploading regular photos to the virtual tours and the number of clicks on the those things went down like crazy. So that's why people change the name. Now, if you notice, they're called 360 tours. They don't want to call them virtual tours anymore. You know, virtual reality is the new buzzword because people won't click a virtual tour anymore. They'll click a 360 tour. Now, if we as an industry, this is like a shout out to those listening in the industry. If we as an industry bastardize that again and start uploading regular photos to those 360 tours, people are going to stop clicking on it. So don't do that. All right, so off my soapbox. Anyway, back in 2006, I had an idea for a brokerage that would do that. Well, I, uh, when I reactivated my license, I was at Keller for a little while um, and I'll, I've always gone to companies to figure out how they operate and what they do just because in my head I was like, that's what I want to do eventually. Then I joined a small boutique firm here uh, because I wanted to see the difference in a mom and pop and I really liked them a lot and I thought, you know, I could just partner myself with them and help take their brand worldwide. Like I could grow it and they had a great name, they have a good look. Uh, people used to always ask me if I owned it anyway, because I was putting out so much content under their brand. And when I first talked to them, when I joined, I was like, Hey, I'm interested in joining, but I want you to know that, uh, they actually asked me, they said, where do you see yourself in three years? And like, this is at the interview. I'm like, well, where do you see me in three years? And they're like, well, you know, you could do like a management broker thing and help sign. I was like, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. At that time, I want to be considered own- for ownership. And I'd like to help you grow and expand. And they're like, yeah, we'll think about that. Let's talk. So I got to the brokerage. um, I kind of piddled around for the first year and then I started to become the top producer there. I was top producer, top producer for 18 months straight. Um, I had almost double the second producer and they came to me at the end of that year, which was a really trying year for me. I actually had a buyer specialist that passed away that was on my team that I can tell you more about later, but They came to me at the end of that year, 2017, and said, we no longer want to continue with you into 2018. And I said, why? Because it was like totally out of the blue for me. And they're like, well, we think you're going to start your own brokerage and we don't want you to do it while you're here. I was like, what are you talking about? Like three years ago, when I was brought onto the team, we were talking about me being an owner. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help you guys expand and have part ownership of expansions, all that. And they were like, yep, we're not interested in that. So I guess they talked and I didn't. <laughs> so so I was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like a 30 days? And then we kind of split apart because I had a pretty big size team and, you know, I had to manage that and the transition. I was like, okay, well, you know, how are we going to do that? And when to do like a Like at the end of 30 days, we'd be like, hey, thank you so much for your help. And y'all can say, hey, this is what Ray's going to do now. And we could just kind of split ways like that. And they're like, no, this was December 29th. It was a Friday. And they said, no, we want you out by Tuesday. So I had to find solutions pretty quickly of what to do. And uh, like in my head, as I left that meeting, I was like, well, I'm going to take their advice and start my own company. And so I called. Uh, three or four people that have been begging to start a company with me for a year and a half. All of them were too afraid to do it. I didn't have a broker's license. So I had to uh, find a principal broker because I was just an agent. I knew the company that I wanted to start because in my head, it was the company that I was going to create for these other owners. Right? So I had already had these ideas of what to do. So I, um, I called someone who had just sold their shares. Someone else said, you should contact this lady. She just sold her shares of her company and talked to her. So I called her, I said, hey, this is what I wanna do. I wanna create a brokerage that operates more like a media company and that is really aggressive to helping agents master their craft in real estate uh, and just having some of the best agents and the best marketing media. And she said, that's what my company always should have become and never did. That's why I'm selling my shares, let's talk. So we talked and she agreed to be the principal broker and partner here in Central Arkansas and one for Benton and uh we opened the doors uh so it took us a month to get it all straightened out i actually called a buddy of mine that i've been to broker's class i just never got my license because i didn't want to do the brokerage thing right so I i called a buddy of mine that i was in broker classes with and he was like dude just hang your license with me for a month and and i'll help you get started and so i hung my license there for a month i was like you know i'm sorry do i need to pay like desperate was like no 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 i'll make more off your commission this month than most agents so you're good so (laughs) i was like all right so i hung my license there for a month he gave me some help in uh you know paperwork and filing and of course my partner knew all that stuff too and then a month after we we launched pixel properties in the february of 2018. so we were we were going to launch um i think it was at the end of february no no we were going to launch in march and then when she told her uh, group, cause her group was like, we'll stay on with us for a little while through the transition. She was like, okay, I'm going to go start this company with him. And then they told her like, oh, you can go now. And so she got a kick and she was like, hey, I'm free. If we would just want to start this this month. And so we moved our launch date up a month and 30 days there it was. So we started Pixel Properties.
1: What's the size of the brokerage and the makeup of it like now?
2: So we have around 30... 33, four agents now. Um, we have three commercial guys. Um, we have, counting the commercial office, four offices, but um, they're all pretty small. I mean, the biggest one's in Little Rock. Uh, then we have one just outside of this area in Benton, and then we have one in Northwest Arkansas too that was new this year. So yeah, we launched uh, that one <laughs> in March of this year. And then shut the doors no one could go in for a while but they were they were still going in and doing kinds of stuff but I mean that was a, a weird time to launch a company
1: uh yeah it sounds like you have a penchant for weird times to launch things
2: yeah you know
4: your <laughs> jam
2: <laughs> what was funny is that when when we started up there I was like okay guys last time I started real estate in northwest Arkansas the entire market crashed and they were like ha 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 and then we opened a brokerage and like COVID instantly pandemic good grief <laughs>
3: So, what would you tell an agent that is looking to open their own brokerage?
2: Hmm.
3: What would you tell them not to do?
2: Open their own brokerage. <laughs> 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 so, okay. okay, so in my opinion, it's only worth it if you're going to if you're going to launch yourself like a big team. And if you're going to operate yourself like a team, but you're actually a brokerage, that's when it's worth it. If you want to launch and be a traditional real estate agency like Keller or Century 21 or whoever mom and pop boutique, which allows individual agents to come in and operate however they please, it's really not that worth it. Um, If you're going to launch and have something that's totally different, unique, and distinct in your marketplace and in the world, and you want to expand to change the industry, then you should launch, but know there's no money in it. and and there's not any money in it for years. Not like, oh, we're not gonna make anything this month. No, for years, I'm putting the money, every dime that we make is going back into the company one way or another to improve something, to make it better for the agents, so that we can keep the agents, so that we can help them, so that we can help our marketing, so that we can help our creative team. There's no money in it yet. But in the future, I know there will be. Like, I can see the money, the income that's coming off of what we're doing, what we're doing because the agents are satisfied and they're happy and they're working and you know what we were doing to help them is working and the resources that we're giving them is working so it's working for the agents but I think if if I was just going to be a regular agent I would find somewhere with a super low commission rate um, and I would do do all my own stuff or I would get my broker's license launch myself do all my own stuff or I would join a brokerage that takes care of everything for me and I would just win the conversation with friends and family and have a nice, nice life doing whatever I wanted to. If you start your own brokerage, you don't have a lot of time for fun. You don't have a lot of time for family. You don't have a lot of time for anything. So unless you're crazy and I mean that in a good way, like unless you're crazy about making a difference in the industry and really want to do something that's, that's not the same, then just join a brokerage somewhere and make a lot of money.
3: Right. Like right. Tim
2: Smith is a great example. Dude is at Caldwell, right? He's making a ton of money. He hasn't started his own brokerage.
3: Right.
2: Could he? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So why hasn't he? There's a lot of trouble.
3: Yeah.
1: That's like the the only thing that I've never really had any desire to do. And like my, We've talked about going independent a million and a half times, but I don't want the liability. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, I really my brokerage does nothing for me, but it's like still like a little safety net of being able to call someone else if I get into trouble with something. Right, but
4: it it feels helpful. Like, well, that was one of my questions for you as a broker owner. So I am currently in the process of interviewing new brokerages and something that wasn't important to me before is now like where I want to be around people that are selling real estate. They don't just have a license, right. And right. Do you have like production requirements or anything like that for your brokerage.
2: So we didn't, when we started, I mean, when, when the whirlwind that was our launch, didn't afford us the ability to be choosy at that time. Uh, now it's different. You know, now we do have, it's not really a production requirement. We have activity requirements. Uh, the new agents that join have a 100 days thing that we're putting them through that they need to do this. And we're even taking some of our older agents that haven't done much. Not older as an age, but they've been with us longer. If they haven't done much, uh, they're going to be going through the same 100 days thing. And if they can't do it, it's they're just not a good fit for us. Um, you know, and with all the virtual culture is, is tough these days to, to create due to the virtual nature of our, our work now. Um, you know, we are the offices that we got were never offices that would house a lot of agents. There were pass throughs that we wanted to come in, use the coffee, use the fax scanner, internet, and then get back out of there. Right. We don't, I don't want somebody sitting in the office all day when they could be with their family. Right. Don't twiddle your thumbs for an hour in the office when you could go hang out with your kids. So, we've always kind of been that bent. Like I want people to live their life. I don't want to create a wor- work culture in which everyone at work is always hanging out with each other. Like that's cool, but like hang out with your friends. That's, and that's who are going to use you to sell stuff. Like you don't have to be forced friends with people at work. Just come to a work environment where everyone's excellent. And so we are really pushing excellence now more than we did when we started. Um, but since you said you're interviewing brokerages, you should call me. No, <laughs> we don't have a location there yet. But, uh, but See, you we are, might be
4: open to opening one of your. Lo-
2: I know. There, you, there go. you go. Let's talk. So the, <laughs> the biggest thing to look for, though, since you are interviewing, is value. Um, there should be a trade-off between what you're paying and what they give you. And uh, we're not the cheapest in town for someone to join, but that's not our point. We are a lot better deal than most of the other brokerages right? We give a ton of resources for agents from transaction coordinators, to listing managers, to a creative team, to videographers, to whatever, like we give all these resources to our client or to our agents. They're my clients, right? So we give as many resources as possible because in my view, I want to always give more value than I'm taking from them. And that's what I want them to do to the marketplace. You know, Jim Rohn was a business philosopher that I used to listen to for years and years. And he always said that if you want to increase what you make from the marketplace, you have to increase the value that you give to the marketplace. And if you increase your value to the marketplace, it will return. So if you're always giving more back to the marketplace than you're taking, the marketplace will always return that value to you. And that's kind of been what I want our agents to understand. You know, they could do as many videos as they want giving value to the marketplace and we don't charge them a dime for it. They could sit here and wax poetic about roofing or, you know, design or, Whatever they want, like what's their niche? Is it investing or is it homes with big families or what you know what what is it? They could talk about it on video, we edit it for them and get it out for them for free. And we only charge them if they have to do a listing video because that's an ask. and I want them to feel the ask. I want them to know you're asking the marketplace to come buy something or to look at you. so you're saying, buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. And if that's all they're doing, they're going to limit their effectiveness in the marketplace. Everybody's going to see them and and see the properties and stuff and think that's cool, but that's going to be like every one of their posts and people aren't going to relate with them as much. But if they can create value in the marketplace, you're going to have people that say, Oh man, I'm not ready to buy a house yet, but when I am, I'm calling you. And they'll keep your number. They'll keep your information. They'll come back and find you later. They'll follow you on Instagram. So if we tell that to our agents, then that's what I want us to do as a brokerage too. And brokers are notorious about telling their agents not to discount their commission, but to add the value, right? Don't discount your commission, add value because that affects the broker's pocketbook, right? But then when you go to them and negotiate a better deal, they discount themselves instead of adding value. So they're doing exactly what you're telling, what they're telling you not to do, they're doing it in the marketplace of agents. So I think there's a lot of room to build better brokerages in our industry that aren't discount brokerages from the top not that the agents are discounting but that the brokerage themselves is discounting because they can't figure out the value proposition for the agent why should the agent stay and in most cases the agent shouldn't stay they should get their brokerage and go launch their own little team shop
1: so in today's world with technology changing as fast as it is and all the disruption that we have and all this stuff going on What do you think the most important things are that a brokerage should offer their
2: agents?
1: (sighs) Or what should an agent look for when they go to a brokerage now in today's world?
2: In my opinion, it's bass backwards from what is happening. Everyone is so focused on horizontal integration and they're so focused on Providing agents with an assistant or some kind of weird back end app that the agents never really want to use, that they're missing the point, uh, or they're so focused on buying leads for the agents that they're missing the entire point of what a broker was set up to be in the first place. And the whole reason why there is a broker agency relationship or agent relationship is so that the broker can tutor that agent to help them become a better agent, to master the craft of real estate. And most of the time, okay, let's say, let's say you're an excellent marketer, right? I would argue that our company is one of the best in the United States for marketing agents and marketing properties. So let's say I have a bad agent, but we're incredible marketers and we put that bad agent in front of as many people as possible. What's going to happen? Where well, we are great marketers of a bad product and people are going to buy the product and then talk bad about the product. So we're essentially digging our own grave faster. So it's not marketing, right? Let's say you have an incredible back end that allows agents to contact 300 people a day, but your agent sucks. You're digging your grave faster. Um, Let's say you do horizontal integration and you create a mortgage company and a title company and all these people that you should be partnering with in the industry, but instead you're just building up something and not making any difference in those industries. You're just wanting to keep more money. And because you're doing that, it provides your agents with more leads and gives them these services at a discount. Well, now you're digging your hole faster because you're not the expert in those other industries. And so your entire scheme is gonna be seen as cheap. So I think those three modes that most brokers are trying to attack right now is, is based on greed, and it's not based on what the agent actually needs. And what the agent actually needs is someone to say, you know what, the whole like embedded command thing is kind of over, right? So let's not do embedded commands. Let's learn real estate. That way, however the person needs to hear that their home is overpriced, you can tell them. You don't have to say, You know, like when you were shopping the other day and you bought something cheaper and not something expensive, isn't this time like this time? I mean, that just, I mean, I get cringy just thinking about it. Like I have like cringe chills right now. It's That's not how it's done. How it's done is like we've taken, we don't call them scripts. We call them beliefs. Because if an agent looks at a script and they know how to say the words on the sheet, if the person says something different than what they're supposed to say, the agent has no idea what to do. But if the agent can understand and believe why this is the best way to operate, whatever your script says, like this is the best way to do it. And they know that reason, then whatever the, the client says, they should be able to figure out a way to communicate that that's in a way that's effective to that client and not just trying to stick a hire me embedded command at the end of the sentence.
3: You're like, you're like reading my mind like that. I have been, I have been saying that since day one. Thank if you. you know your market and you have confidence in yourself and you know that person's property and you know what's going on around it, you will be able to get that listing because you could say the statistics of it and show them that their house is overpriced. It's not hard.
2: Yep. Yeah, I mean, you could call it a data-driven approach, Right, You could call it a, a confidence level approach, but in reality, it's what we believe as agents.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and when you believe it and you know that's true, then you just don't waver on those beliefs. Like there's a lot of beliefs I have that I don't waver on. And there's a lot of beliefs I have with clients that I do not waver on. If they if they subvert my system for helping them, I can't help them. And I tell them that I'm not the right agent for you. There's it's plenty fine. of people out there that I'm the right agent for, and you are not one of them.
3: It's and like all these oh, it's like all these agents were trained or brainwashed, if you will, to just get the listing. Like, if you say yeah. these three words in this type of way, you're going to get that listing. Right. And that's not what you do. You need to do your homework as an agent and know your industry and know your career. And, and not only that,
2: a better agent. when those agents go in there and they say exactly what they're supposed to say and they don't get the listing, 87% of them quit after the first two years.
3: Or I've heard this before, that I'm not going to say names, but those agents have been taught scripts. And when a seller is interviewing multiple agents, those sellers are hearing the same exact yeah. script.
2: It's so, what
3: does that make this us look I'm like? Called, yeah. What does that make us look like? That makes yeah. us look like car salesmen. Drugs. That makes us look like we just want the money. And well, I think can't it, understand that.
2: If every, if, if a lot of the agents are saying the exact same thing when they show up, maybe slightly different, but pretty much the exact same thing, then most consumers are going to say, well, I mean, a computer could do this mm-hmm. and then you have computers doing it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So when an agent loses the expertise of actually being an agent, it opens the market for things like eye buyers and things that don't benefit the consumer, but it's a convenience because they don't have to deal with agents. So... so- it, if we continue on the path, uh, well, if the industry continues on the path, they're, they're killing themselves. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to produce something that was better. And I'm pretty passionate, if you can't tell, about people being better at what they do. You know, I love Jim Rohn. He always says if a, you know, a tree doesn't say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to grow anymore today. No, a tree grows as tall as it can, right? A lion becomes the best lion that it can. They don't wake up and say, oh, "I'm not going to line much today." So humans are the only thing with the ability to decide. I don't want to be as good as I could be. Hmm. But if you can be better, then shouldn't you? Yep. Like, so why aren't that, we?
3: Another thing that like like agents are are taught to do. It's like they're they're taught to just go in and show them what you have done, which is great. Your your resume, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But when you go to that listing, you don't go to that listing to show how many houses you've sold or how many, you know, what your average sale price is. You do homework on that house. You should know everything about that house before you step foot in it. What is sold around it? What's going on with the house? Why is it needs, why it needs to be priced at this and not this. Like, and they're not being trained for that. There's, I don't, there's no agent that's being trained for that. And that drives me up a wall
2: or have the ability to step foot in a house you've never been in and to tell what is happening and what's going on and why it hasn't sold and what's weird about the layout. But in order to do that, you have to have market expertise and most people don't have that. They just, a lot of agents are lazy. You know, they get into real estate for the finances and the freedom and they have the freedom first and they never find the finances.
4: I think the biggest thing that's missing in our industry, just, you know, dealing with agents every day is, Lack of education, not only like for ourselves, but they don't educate their clients. And so they're going through this transaction and they have no idea what is going on. And they're being led blindly by someone who has no idea what they're doing. I mean, all you have to do is go peruse our realtor Facebook groups and look at the questions. Yeah. Oh, that we exist in an industry where education is not important.
2: Yeah. Well, we're all members of a paying board that's supposed to be on top of that instead of changing out the logos. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the National Association of Realtors, I think, has given that up a long time ago. Yep. Along with our dot com. That's a whole whole other Oprah. That's a whole other Oprah.
0: Yep.
4: All right. So shifting gears a little
1: bit, tell us about Be More. So for people that are listening that don't know what that is, it's the Bearded Men of Real Estate Show. For people that are listening that I've never seen Ray's happy face. Ray is very bearded. And so is his show partner, Dan Ludwig, who we've had on our show before. So tell us about like the inception of that. So Dan says you guys have met in person, what, one time?
2: Yeah, once or twice, I think. Was it one time? It may have only been one time.
1: And you've been doing the show for how long?
2: Three, over three years now.
1: Wow. So where did this come from?
2: (laughs) So... We used to get a lot of questions about having beards. Uh, so that's the first part that, I, I mean, people would, they would ask us all kinds of questions about the beard, but they would also ask like, how are you a real estate agent? And you have a beard. Uh, believe it or not, that was like a, that was like a sticking point for some people. And I think I mentioned that I've always been a big proponent of not doing you until you, you know what you're doing. Well, as soon as I had a different system and a different way of operating, that's when I wanted to look different in the marketplace. So as soon as i could go into a home and do something totally different totally radical something they've never seen before talk to them in a different way then i wanted to look different so i let my beard grow part in part because the the hair on the top stopped Um, i have a really round head without a beard so i had to elongate it somehow right so that's kind of the origin of my own beard and i would go into houses and talk about some of the things i'm talking to you guys about and they would always say "Wow." No one's ever said that, or you're very different from a regular agent. Like, yes, and I look it too, right? So we were in some group, and I think we were trolling the same person. Um, and you know, one of those, one of the real estate groups that we were kind of talking about, and we were just like trolling them. And then I realized that he looked kind of like the guy on Game of Thrones. Like his his profile pic at the time was like the redheaded guy on Game of Thrones. I was like, hey, someone told you? And I posted a GIF image of that guy. And so we started up a conversation. And we found ourselves talking about, I think at first it was kind of talking about the market and how it treats beards, right? Cause we were both bearded real estate agents. But then we also started talking about like some of the news and what was happening in the market. Like, Hey, this weird thing is happening. Here's what's going on in the news. And I would process news stories all the time to be, to continue to be an expert in the industry. And we had an idea, like he was like, we should do a, a, a show. And I said, yeah, we should. And he had the name for the show, The of Men of Real Estate. He said, I've been wanting to do this show. I've been looking for a cohort. Haven't found anyone that could pull it off. He said, I think you got the chops. He said, but I don't know what it would look like. And I said, well, I, I've always wanted to do a show. I have a layout for a show ready. Like I know I want to go through like a short intro. I want to do the headlines and deep dive on a couple of the topics and then close it out, make it an hour and um, make, make it live, fully live. And he said, uh, let's do it. So we that's that's the origin story. At first, we put it on YouTube for like three shows and no one participated. So I was like, well, let's try Facebook Live. So we put it on Facebook Live and people started commenting and then we could like display the comments. I always say on the show that we could display the comments and talk about your comment or talk about you. Um, and And we started having a lot of fun as real estate professionals would watch the show and give their two cents about something. And we go into some of the like, like we'll talk about mortgage applications on the rise, 40%. Okay. But we also talk about moves that Zillow made that maybe is a little bit anti-agent or moves that compass in rheology, rheology whatever. We, we always talk about you know, different moves that the industry players are making. We talk about, um, uh, news stories that involve agents that maybe <laughs> learned a hard lesson, right? We've had some of those. Um, uh, so, uh, recently, you know, I'm wearing the shirt, the, the listen, learn, love shirt that we had, um, part of the black lives matter. Like we got a black on black shirt, uh, just to support, you yeah, know, you know, show our support, I guess you could say for, and that's always been our tagline, listen, learn, and love. And that's what we want. We want people to listen to the show. It's really a show help to help the expertise in the industry flourish. Cause nobody's going to sit and watch the news every week, but if they can watch one hour of us, they, they know what's going on in the marketplace. They know what inventory is doing nationwide. They know what new home startups are doing. They, they have all this knowledge and information so that when they're sitting in front of their client, their client asks them a question, they have the knowledge and we've discussed it. So it's not like just reading the article, we've discussed what that means. Um, and so the whole point is to improve our industry because a, a rising tide lifts all boats.
3: A romance was formed.
2: <laughs> That's right.
3: <laughs> You know,
1: like first of all I can't quite comprehend life like that freaks me out and then second of all you have a partner who's pretty wild so do you have uh, to like tell him to behave or how does that
2: work no I mean after three years it's not I mean and I think his um randomness and my steadiness <laughs> work together right yeah. I think you know, could I pull off the show without him? Maybe. Could he pull off the show without me? Maybe, but it'd be a very different look. Right? So I think having both of those types of people in there also attracts a wider audience. Cause if we were both the same, like straight laced, corny news guys, <laughs> then I, I I don't think we'd have near the participation that we have. I think we may get has, views, but we wouldn't have the participation.
1: Has anything ever come out live that you're like, holy, holy shit. Like, no.
2: I don't think so. I mean, bright
1: red. Like I would turn bright red and be like, I gotta go. I gotta get off the camera. No, nothing ever.
2: <laughs> no, it's been, no. I mean, we've had weird things happen. Like I had a light follow me one time. We've had people come into his uh, office while we were recording one time. Um, so we've had some stuff like that happen. That's just awkward. It, the biggest worry is the internet. You know, we've had the internet die on us a couple of times. Uh, but other than no, I mean, it's tame, actually. I don't even know if we are cussing it anymore. <laughs> I think we used to, but then we quit so that we wouldn't get the explicit tag on YouTube.
1: On YouTube, nice. I don't know if we could do our show live. I feel like we could, could we? I you could, could.
2: I, I
4: would do it. We'll have to consider that. We will <laughs> have to do like a trial run. Like we'll have you and Dan Hun, and we'll do like a random like-
2: Oh, totally. Yeah.
4: We that would be kind of fun
2: we could totally do that
4: yeah it would be like a oh, a so and some more happy hour <laughs> yes yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they
1: do with uh, Grey's Anatomy and whatever the stupid firefighter show. It's a crossover event at 9 p.m. on Friday night. Don't. miss it. Oh my it. god, it would actually Friday be super night fun. At 9 p.m. I think it would be cool. Let's
2: the do it. The crossover event you've been waiting for.
1: You're probably gonna watch out for us because we definitely will get the explicit content warning, and I have no <laughs> idea what we will say. So.
2: <laughs> That's fine. You just can't put it on our channel. That's fine. You
1: guys are used to it.
2: Or you have to. I, so you can also just upload segments and bleep it out. It's fine.
1: Oh, ours like every time I go to upload to YouTube or our podcast
3: indicator, it's like explicit, explicit, explicit. (laughs) I want to cuss a lot so I can have the
4: beeping. Beep,
2: beep. (laughs) Well, now YouTube's looking at the beeps. So you gotta put like a different sound on it.
4: Like a cow. Like Like a a lion like roaring. Yeah.
2: There's one group they put the word subscribe really fast, sped up. Oh, every time somebody like (laughs) That's hilarious. Subscribe.
4: That's amazing. I love that. That would be cool. Um, I am going to be the rude one today. I have to go to a closing, so I... So rude. Bye. No, I'm sorry. All right, I'll see you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Ray, for coming on our show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: That was really fun. Anything else you want to talk about
0: before we go?
2: No, you can ask whatever. I have a beard question. Okay.
0: Um, not for myself.
2: Um, (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. Been
0: touch and go
1: lately, but who knows.
0: Depends depends Um, on,
1: like, if the salons are back open from COVID. That's right. We'll we'll
0: leave it there. So when you're wearing a mask, do you wear the mask, like, and, like, put the beard in the mask thing? Like, I've seen this and I think it looks ridiculous. Uh Uh-huh.
2: It looks, well, it also looks stupid wearing a mask and having a beard come out from under it. Yeah. So I mean when it's required, I wear it, but it doesn't do anything if you have a beard. Like there's You know what
0: it looks like to me? It looks like those, um it's gonna sound really bad. I'm glad we're (laughs) Lindsay, will cut this out. It looks like those like
2: um those like man
0: bikinis that just hold the balls.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You got all the hair coming out.
0: That's what it looks like to me. So I can't, I can't make eye contact with anyone wearing those.
2: Yeah, and it doesn't do anything for the health and safety of no. anyone else. But it makes people feel better, and that's really what we're about, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it really is. You're just gonna have like a really COVID-y beard. Like it's all <laughs> gonna get stuck right up in there. I feel like. That's right.
0: I feel like you guys should have masks that have beards on them that you can give away as swag.
2: Ooh, then make them.
0: That's a good idea. Yeah, things. and like the glass, like the glass, yeah,
1: the be more. Oh, you need
2: that. Be more masks.
1: Awesome. Be more masks. We would wear them. I never got a be more shirt. I should probably get a shirt.
2: Really? Yeah, you got to get a shirt.
1: Oh, do you want us to ask you harder questions?
2: Well, I, I mean, I'm up for whatever. You haven't asked any hard qu- Well, the hardest question you asked was about the, I got real passionate about the brokerage.
1: I can ask a really hard question. And What's then a I hard question? I'll tell it you. you if, it, if you don't like it, okay? Um, why is it that you are such an amazing, awesome personality, but we don't really get to know the real Ray ever?
2: Oh yeah, that's good. So you do get You're to know very. Ray.
1: I feel like Ray is very curated and I want to know more real Ray.
2: Yeah. So if it wasn't for my job, I wouldn't be online.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, being a real tour, I've said, okay, I'll be online. I'll do what I need to to get the exposure for me and my clients, my agents, my company. I'll be out in front. I'll do it. I'll take the bullet. Right. And I enjoy some of it, but I'm, I really don't enjoy posting. I really don't enjoy going live. I really don't enjoy doing videos and seeing myself on video, but my why is bigger than my (laughs) self-deprecation. <laughs> my, my why is bigger than me being grossed out by seeing me on film or me being grossed out when I hear my own voice. You know, everyone has that, right? You guys like my voice. A lot of people don't like my voice. I don't like my voice. So everyone has that same hangup. But the why for me is much bigger. You know, helping to change the industry for me is worth it. It's worth it for me to post But I don't post anything about family because they didn't take the bullet they didn't say put me online Um, my kids don't know the cost of being online Um, we don't fully know the cost of putting our kids online Mm -mm. Um, so until they until we have a better understanding or they have a better understanding then they're not going Um, and I'm a I'm a pretty personal private person anyway So I think people get to know me in the context that I want them to know me. But that's not much different than my friends in real life, too. My my friends in real life, as a, I'm a, do y'all do the Enneagram thing? Have y'all done that? Yeah. So I'm a five, which means I have a very close, tight-knit group. And anyone outside of that group is a fun acquaintance. Hmm. And... That's just how I live. So for me to be active on social and like pouring out my heart about something that's happened or, you know, this bad news happened or you're just never going to see that for me. And it's not that what you see is not real. I think what you see is very real because each post, each little bit takes so much effort for me to put out about myself that that's for me is very real. However, it's not, it doesn't have to be about my family or it doesn't have to be about my heart to be real. I think it could be something that I'm passionate about and still be real. You know, I'm passionate about fitness cause I was a fat. So, right. So I'm super passionate about, I just got my CrossFit L1. Right. So I'm a, I'm a certified CrossFit coach, right? Good for you. Why the heck did I do that? I, I'm not going to coach. <laughs> well, I might, if I get like a free gym membership or something, you know, <laughs> someone out there is listening, but, So why did I do it? And it's because it's something I'm passionate about is health and pursuing the best health possible because I was 315 pounds for a long time and just really dissatisfied with who I was and how I looked and now I'm not. So I think think you can be known and have people know you in a way without putting everything out there. I don't think you need it.
3: What's your sign?
2: Uh, I think I'm a Taurus or something.
3: I knew it. When's really? your birthday?
2: April 28th. Yeah,
3: Taurus. Yep. I'm May. April
2: 28th Nathan. for everyone out there that wants to send a gift.
1: What shall we send you though? Because we don't know anything about you, Ray.
2: Anything having to do with CrossFit, I'm good. Okay. I need some new so
1: prayers. I actually think that this is really interesting. It's a different perspective than I've ever thought about before, but Like in coaching and training and teaching, a lot of times we'll hear things like, I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to go out there and say things, or I don't want to like drip my heart all over Facebook or Instagram, but you can still be wildly successful. You've got to have some presence there. I think that's undeniable in the world that we live in today, but you can still be super successful without posting that you're pooping. (laughs) Or pictures of what you're eating, you know. So I, I actually think that's a huge takeaway for people that are listening that might be shy about social media.
2: Yeah, I think you could be very personable without being personal.
1: Hmm.
2: And I also think it matters to my friends when I comment on their stuff, right? It probably matters more to my friends that I comment and say, "Hey, congratulations on getting engaged," or "Hey, I'm so glad that you're getting married," or "Hey, you know, that's a really cool thing that you just bought," right? It probably matters to them more that I do that than I post something about myself.
1: Yeah, I agree. So your family—we're just going to go there for a couple of minutes since now we're off the personal rails. So you are a husband, yes? Yeah. Married how long?
2: Fifteen years, almost.
1: Wow! And a dad, yes. Yeah. And how many kiddos? And how old Four. are they? Four kiddos.
2: Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, nobody knows. I think yeah. the most personal post that I ever put on there was when my dog died recently
3: Aww. so I had, a,
2: I had a dog for 15 years so suey was her name like woo pig suey yeah. so she passed away recently and that was the most personal post I ever put on there so people are like gonna go to my instagram and instantly like chase that post to, but that's the first picture i think that i've ever put in my family online
1: is that because it's special mm-hmm. and you just guard it and protect mm-hmm. it or is that because why is that?
2: I think there's three reasons. I mean, the number one reason is there's weird creepers in the world. Yes. And I let anyone follow me. So if you want to follow me, follow me. I'm not a restricted account, right? And if you have good content, I'll follow you back. But because I don't restrict that, I don't, I don't know if there's weirdos following me or not, or if there are people that would endanger my family or not. So why risk it? I just, you know, it, how heartbroken would someone be if their family got taken and then they looked on social media and it was the person that followed them four days ago, right? Obviously that's who did it. This is what happened, right? I mean, you would just like blame yourself forever for accepting that person's follower, friend request. So I just don't put myself in that position where I'd have that regret. (laughs) Um, The other reason besides the weirdos is that we, I mean, my kids haven't decided to be online and have no idea what being online means how old are they uh 10 8 they're about to all change so i'm gonna give you their updated numbers <laughs> uh, 10 8 5 mm-hmm. and 2. Mm-hmm. and so they're they haven't made a decision you know my 10 year old's really curious about the youtube stuff really interested in video editing and all that so we're learning about all that but you know she's creating videos and stuff like that and sharing them with family but not online she's mm-hmm. texting them right so i think you know, people are like, well, are they going to learn computer skills? Yeah, they're going to learn computer skills. I'm a huge nerd, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a we had one of the first computers in our neighborhood when I was like 13, 14. You don't
1: right? need to be making TikToks to learn yeah. technology. Like, yeah.
2: yeah. I,
3: I just, and there's a
2: lot of people, you know, commentators will say, well, that is the new social and that is the new connection. And that might be, but I think it's appropriate at a later age. Not yeah. in my
1: house, not at this age, it's yeah. not. There's
2: some people that say that they're never going to do the TikTok thing, and it may fade out by them. But, you know, if it's a valid way to connect and a valid way to make money, then teaching them to use it responsibly is just like anything else, right? Teaching somebody to drive responsibly, teaching someone to, so, so yeah, they didn't make the decision to be online, so I'm not going to force them online. Um,
3: I got a question. Yeah. Well, so I I I I've been thinking about this for myself and my son because he's nine. And you yeah. see all these kids with cell phones. I mean, eight-year-olds, yeah. seven-year-olds with cell phones. Yeah. When are you going to allow your daughter to have a cell phone? They got one. I now. have an age for my kid. I'm just curious what you think. They have one. Mm. Okay. They, they have get like internet.
2: 15 to 30 minutes on it a day. It doesn't have a data plan, but they can Facetime a friend. Um, they can play an app. That, uh, if she wants to take pictures and edit videos and stuff like that, she gets a little extra time. Because uh, that's an interest, but all three of the girls that are the older, my boy was last, so all three of the girls have their own little phone. They are old phones, right? You just pass them down. Right. They don't have their own data plan or anything, but they, everything on there is uh, controlled and open. And
3: so, know, at what right. age will you open it to the data plan? Uh,
2: whenever they are, whenever they have to be somewhere without us for a long time. Because it will be our connection to them, right? I always. Jo- there used to be a Firefly phone. Are you all familiar with that? Yeah. Uh huh. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna buy one of those, and that's the backup, right? If they get in trouble, they lose the smartphone, and they get the the one with three buttons, right? <laughs> Mom, Dad, or. Yep. So that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm very strict as a dad, and I think it's healthy. I mean, everyone's Absolutely. like, "Oh, your kids are great," and. I love hearing that because that means that the discipline that we're instilling in them is working. Absolutely. Um, But it takes a lot of work. And it's not like, hey, give them the phone and work with them for a month and then you can set them free. No, we're talking like years. It's a marathon. Years and years and years of work to understand the intricacies of conversation, to understand the intricacies of people don't know what you mean when you text this. So you have to text it like this. So how do they learn that if they're not texting mom and dad? My, my daughter texted me something the other day. It was funny. And I was like, hey, phrase it like this. It'd be slightly funnier. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh my gosh. So then she texts it to, I think, grandpa or something like that. And so she's learning in a weird way, like text comedy, right? But she's also learning how to formulate a text conversation or sentence to set up the end result that she wants. Mm-hmm. Right. But if they're not, if we're not letting them play, you know, with mom and dad, if they're not if we're not letting them play with those pieces of technology in a very safe way and helping them with it, then they're never going to learn it and they're going to be awkward. Like everyone talks about being awkward socially and kids that grow up and they're just totally awkward socially and you can't connect and you can't, well, no one's talking about people being awkward socially via text or via email.
1: I've never, ever, ever thought about that before ever. Like my brain is like well, cause it's really hard though. Like, so my son is 10 and I'm pretty hardcore about stuff. Like, you know, I'm the world's biggest comic super fan on the planet. And so now that he's a little older, like we do superhero movies and stuff together, but like Kalen was like the weird kid. Everyone else had seen Captain America and he wasn't allowed to, you know? And yeah. so like, we've really restricted his content. He's an only child. So it's easier cause he doesn't have older siblings. Um, and he has an iPad so he can FaceTime or Facebook messenger kids, people that we've approved, but like, I literally never thought about teaching them to communicate normally for today's age.
3: Have you thought about that guys? That's crazy. So I I might be a hard ass, but Kate has an iPad. too. Kate has an iPad and he's got messenger on there, kids messenger. So he can message grandma. He can message his friends. He can FaceTime with them. He texts them. He does it with us too. So there's that aspect to it. I'm, I'm scared to get my kid a phone and it's not because I don't trust him. I just, I, in my personal opinion, feel that nine years old is too young for a cell phone. I feel like it should be 13 or 14 when they're going to be staying after school for sports or they're going to an extra activity. Then I feel at that point, maybe he deserves a cell phone, but he needs to prove to me that he's very responsible. And I don't know if I'm being too much of a hard ass on that. So Uh. Kaylin has one of those
1: um, leapfrog watches where like he can call, you know, five people that are pre-programmed or text five people pre-programmed. So like, I don't worry about him. Cause he, my street is like the Goonies. Like the kids are outside all over the neighborhood all the time, wrecking, freaking havoc. It's amazing, cool. but I still don't like when I can't find him. Right. So he has a watch, but he, he's starting to ask for a phone because other kids have them. Hmm. I think
2: along with a, I think you, you can't put just an age with it. There's definitely gotta be,
0: maturity, a pretty high level
2: of maturity and discipline um, and a resistance to things that they know you don't approve of. Um, and that's something that we watch for. If they're resistant to things that they know are not right, then that's good because they're learning you know, what, what we would approve and what is correct and, and what they should do. But if they're indulging in things that we don't approve of, then that's a sign that they wouldn't get it, Mm -hmm. you know, until they change that behavior, then they can't have it.
3: Right.
1: Being a parent is a
3: lot right now. Especially in this day and age,
1: it's a lot. Well, just think about like last week, Kristen, like the conversation that we were having as fully grown, actualized adults, like, like we went from talking about Instagram to OnlyFans in like a split second right like yep. social is like a freaking rabbit hole right now that's evolving so fast and i'm super super techy and can't even keep my head on yep. it right like but it's like we went facebook insta and then tiktok which can be borderline and then now we're literally talking about like onlyfans like real slippery slope real fast yeah yep it's scary. It's just, it's,
3: it's,
2: it's, I
3: don't know if I, I'm not a conservative. <laughs> all this. <laughs> That's right. I'm not a conservative. Well, a beard. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a conservative person, but when it comes to my kid and when it comes to my family, I will have to say I'm, I'm pretty damn conservative, conservative when it gets to that. Like, I don't, I, I. I don't care how a girl is dancing. If she's dancing and she's having fun, you rock on, you do you boo boo. But I don't know if I want my kid necessarily like scrolling through Instagram and scrolling through Facebook and then like all of a sudden seeing that. I want my kid to be able to be able to be like, oh, that chick is dancing like that, that's her choice. I don't want him to look at her in a derogatory way because she's dancing that way, if that makes any sense. And as a parent, I don't know how to parent that. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, no, it does, because I don't know how to parent that either, because, like, okay, so Kaylin and uh, sorry, Ray, we just totally-
2: I know. <laughs> That's hilarious. But,
1: but so, like, Kaylin at 10 years old, right, so he's in that space where we need to have the talk, and we haven't had the talk, because I'm like, where the fuck does the talk go? Like, right. it's, there, it's, it's like birds and bees, This is for someone special. Me too. Don't fuck with women. Don't be a douchebag. Like, it's like now the talk that you have to have with them is like so big that every time I think about it, I keep getting overwhelmed. Don't look at porn. Don't do this bad thing. Like it's now, it's not just like, like our our parents past generations had it so easy. Like they were like, um, when a man and a woman love each other and they choose to have consensual sex with you. And now we're like, Ooh.
0: It's, it's, it's totally different now. Totally.
2: Yeah. That's hilarious. So I think, I think you can look at those conversations in the same way that we were talking about, like kids learning to text. It's got to be a marathon. That's not a, that's not a, Hey, I'm going to take you out to dinner and have the talk. That's just <laughs> not going to work. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's too much, there's too much to say and so I think, it but if, if you give them a basis for what you believe is right and wrong, then I think they will start to see things in those contexts and they will start to see like, would my mom approve of this or not? And I, on the other hand, am totally okay with them judging and saying, oh, that, that person's a tramp. Uh, <laughs> of how they're, how they're dancing and the links that they're sharing and what they're doing i'm totally okay with them totally being completely judgmental because i think that's a lost art in our society you know when when you start saying like well you know whatever they want to do is okay with them then you have people that identify themselves with diseases like well i self-identify with cancer and so i may not have it but i identify as such and if you think i'm saying a joke right now i'm not
1: no, that's like a real thing in my family, actually. can't really? Yeah. Oh,
2: wow. There are people that identify, the biggest one that you can find online is DID, which is, um, it's like a dysmorphia identity disorder or something like that, right? So people think they're um, multiple people. And there are people like that actually think that and they, you know, it's a mental health issue and, you know, they, they work through that, right? Well, then there are all these people that are like faking it and identifying with it and talking about them being plural. And they're saying, well, you can't say that I can't identify as multiple people and have a fluid gender. Gender fluidity, that's a thing. And you can't say that it's not, because if you say that it's not, now you're being judgy, Mm -hmm. right? So where do you draw the line between it being okay to judge and it not? If you say no judgment, then there's no judgment across the board. But if you say, well, there, I mean, science would be a good starting place. Well, then you got people that are like, well, no, you can't do science. <laughs> so I, you know, we're teaching our kids that it's healthy to judge and discern and to know, well, I'm not, I'm definitely not going to hang out with that person. I'm not going to become friends with that person because they're doing things that would end in destruction. Okay. Right. And you know, that's a good thing that it's, it's healthy to say.
1: It's not even judgment though. It's discernment. Like you can hold a space open to believe that this person is doing something that you don't agree with ethically or morally or value wise and still not judge and hate them at the same time. And that's the problem.
2: It's not hating. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You don't hate, but I think judge and discern are kind of the same thing. I mean, you're making a a call about their character. Yeah. You don't hate them. That's not right. Right. But yeah, make a call about their character. That's fine.
3: Right.
1: We're all making a call about your character right now. (laughs) Okay, one last question um, from Jess, who had to sign off, but she's texting me. So she wanted to know, um, she says that you seem to be openly political sometimes, and she wants to know if you feel like that affects your business. That's so funny. Especially in the world, she said, especially in the world climate we are in right now where you just make one comment and you can isolate half of the world, right? So.
2: So I think I am fine to be openly political because I'm very fair. Mm. Um, I'm not a, uh, I don't carry the water for one team. I look at everything through data, through analytics. And if the data is not there, I'm not gonna give that person what they think is due but I think anyone that knows me personally pretty well knows where I stand politically, but they also know the reasons why I stand there. And um, most of the time they agree with them. You know, Dan is, you know, I call him a bleeding heart liberal, right? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I am to, to his liberalism, I am conservative, but yet we're great friends and we have a show. And if you notice on the show, most of the time we agree with each other, and it's very difficult. Like we we used to like joke because he's so different from me and has such different beliefs from me that we should have more disagreement on the show. But we don't. We agree almost all the time. And jokingly, I'll say, okay, I'm going to try to take the other side here. And I think last week during the show, he was like, okay, I'm going to take the other side. And he was talking about uh, global warming. Because we were talking about like global warming scores, uh, global warming or climate change having an impact on flood scores around the country and then having predictive scores. I don't know if y'all heard about that. You should watch the show. Uh, So now there's going to be predictive flood scoring given to everyone based on climate change, which hasn't happened. So um, Dan is like, well, you know, if it, if it did happen, should there be a score like this? Right? So in the end, we agree that this thing is like not, it's not fleshed out enough in order to affect people's home value right? So we agree on principle. He may believe in global warming and I may not, or man-caused, right? He may believe that man is doing it. I may believe that man is not. But we both agree that people should take care of the earth. We both agree that people should be more responsible for the, for the stewardship of stuff they're given. So there's a ton that we agree on all the time. And there's probably a couple of minor things that we disagree on.
1: But this is like, Kristen said it the other day, I don't believe that the world is quite as divided as everyone would choose us to believe because we've always had differences in opinions. We've always had different politics. We've always had different values, but I I just don't like when you talk human to human and not like policy to policy, I don't think it's that divided. I think most people probably are like you and Dan, you disagree on some things, you love each other and that's it. Right?
2: Yeah. It's and so- and when you, when you bring it to the brass tax, like, or speaking of taxes, like what's the end result of taxing the rich? It's giving it to the poor. Yep. What's the end result of not taxing the rich? It's getting more money to the poor. Mm-hmm. So both of us believe that the poor people should have more, money the question is what's the best way to get it there and i think when you when you both look at each other and say hey we agree that poor people should have more money we can agree on that principle right we should figure out a way to get rid of as much poverty as in the united states so now let's discuss ways to get there and i think that's the that's the lost standing on that common ground of like let's let's get more money in the hands of people that don't have it that's common ground and we can all stand on that the question is how do you get it there and I don't have to hate you in order to say it's a different direction
3: exactly so it's like it's like it's like both sides have one end goal but both sides have different avenues of getting to that one end goal and it's been lost all those avenues have been lost for years it's like my husband and I like Lindsay asked me this the other day like my husband and I are complete opposites he's conservative Mm -hmm. and i ain't (laughs) and it's like we've been together 18 years and it just works we do not agree on a lot of things a lot of things we do not agree on but we love each other and we figure it out and we end up getting to that end goal together
2: yeah yeah i i I mean i think that's part of the reason why debate has been lost is because instead of debate we attack the other person as if like hey he hates poor people and that's not that's not the case and so if we get back down to the brass tacks of like, yes, they don't hate poor people. They both want poor people to have money. Then how could you, as a voter, differentiate which one to vote for?
3: Exactly. Now you have to
2: be educated on the policies. Exactly. Maybe somebody should have a show educating people about the policies.
3: Um, Ooh.
1: (laughs) That would be my kind of show. I was a (laughs) political science major and I wanted to be a politician. Yeah, there you go. But like Dan and I, example, could not disagree more on politics if we tried but we can still be wonderful friends so i don't understand why everybody has to be so hateful
3: it's really
2: and i think that's why i can get away with being a little bit political is because there's no hate in it and rarely do i say it's one party or the other i I usually talk about the position
3: yeah
2: i say hey this i i think this is right i think this position is correct i think this debate is going to win that's how it will work But I'm not saying the Republicans or the Democrats are right or wrong.
1: I don't think anyone's really saying that anymore. All right, well, we totally went down the world's biggest tangent, but that was really fun. And I feel like we definitely got to know you a little bit. So thank you so much for
2: that. Good, well, thanks for having me on. All right, thank you guys, bye.
0: Bye. We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlco.